The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. You know, uh, if there is one person on this planet who, as I did in eighth grade in study hall, got out one of those old-fashioned legal pads and wrote down on that legal pad all the things that I was going to do with my life, if there is one person who nearly 35 years later could take that legal pad paper and put it in the paper shredder, it would be me. I remember in that study hall my very dear friend, by the way, I'm coming up to my 40th high school reunion this October in my hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, in, in that study hall uh, day, a woman, uh, my longtime classmate Margie Hyde, she also wrote out on her legal pad that day uh, everything she was going to do with her life. And I'm very happy to say, by God's grace, she didn't put hers in the paper shredder. Points one to eight, she did them all, just like a great mathematician. You know, uh, I begin that way because, uh, as I was sharing yesterday at lunch, I was doing some research at Focus on the Family before the extraordinary Dobbs decision that overturned Roe against Wade. By the way, we have just come through the single most consequential Supreme Court term in the history of the United States. Now, I'm raising my right hand. This is a promise. We have never in a single term had four monumental cases on our religious liberty and by God's grace won them all. And we have never had a single Supreme Court decision that has overturned a precedent with ramifications the like of which was the Dobbs decision overturning Roe against Wade. By the way, if you did not know, the reason I'm asserting this is that, and we're all sitting down, this should shock and sober us, that since 1973's Roe against Wade, which imposed abortion on all 50 states, there were a resulting 65 million abortions in the United States of America. How many people is that? That is the equivalent of one citizen in all the states west of the Mississippi plus all of the residents of Western Europe. We are now missing, as a result of this devilish case, five generations of Americans. That's pretty monumental. Praise God that Dobbs was overturned. 
Here's why I begin on this note. In doing my research at Focus on the Family, to really understand the depth of Dobbs, I wanted to understand more about the justice, Samuel Alito, whose nomination and confirmation team I was privileged and honored to serve on, I wanted to understand just what it was, jurisprudentially, that brought this extraordinary justice to be the author of the most far-reaching, consequential Supreme Court decision of the lifetime of everybody in this beautiful place this morning. Guess what I learned? I learned that in 1985, I'll let you do the math, 1985 to 2022, that in 1985, as a young, bright, smart, 30-year-old attorney, who, by the way, other than a handful of people, most people in the legal community never would have heard of, he went to work as an attorney for President Ronald Reagan at the Department of Justice. And guess what the archives revealed? That as a 30-year-old person, talented, bright, smart lawyer, top of his class from Princeton, top of his class from Yale Law School, a working-class family from New Jersey, this remarkable American at the age of 30, working in the bowels of the Department of Justice, drafted a 14-page memo, the topic of which was how to overturn Roe against Wade. You know, the providence of God works in the most mysterious ways. I want to go back to eighth grade, if I may, in that study hall. You know, when I got up that morning, I had no idea that Margie Hyde and I would have a dual plan in our study hall to get out pieces of paper and delineate what we were going to do with our lives. Here's the mistake I made. The mistake I made is that I did not ask myself the most consequential question that I should have asked. You see, as eighth graders, Margie and I were writing out our professional ambitions. She wanted to be the world's greatest math teacher. By the way, I think she achieved it. And I wanted to be the world's most important journalist. I'm here to tell you all in Technicolor, I failed. <laughs> we were asking the wrong question. So I've come to Pensacola Christian to ask you to ask yourself today the right question. Here's the right question. Are you ready? 
what am I going to do with my life in service to Jesus Christ, my King? You know, uh, I've enjoyed breakfast at the Palms, or the Palm, the last couple of mornings, and I've gotten to know some of you. By the way, for all those who stopped by my table, thank you. I'll miss you. I've enjoyed our talks. I've also enjoyed the talks on my morning walks here the last couple of mornings. I'm an early riser, and I've learned that a few of you are too. You know, asking yourself the biggest single question is an obligation, and here's why. Because somehow we've been acculturated to profession and success. You know, what am I going to do with my life is supposed to be, well, I'm going to be an astronaut or a lawyer. I'm going to be a missionary or a pastor. I'm going to be an architect or an engineer. All those are important questions, but the one that supersedes that question is not profession. It's the V word, vocation. I've had 30 years of interns. I love them all. We get all the wedding announcements, all the baptism announcements, birth of child announcements. Jenny and I, my wife of 31 years, we absolutely love it. We even have a wonderful reunion with all of my interns every five years. It's great fun. I have been honored, and I say this with great humility, more often than I can say, to have those interns after their three or four or five months together come to me and very often, one-on-one, -on -one, say, Mr. Gagline, I can't figure it out. I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do. And I'll, and I'll always ask, well, tell me what you mean by that. What's the seedbed of your frustration? Well, I want to go to law school, but I don't know if I have the grades. I want to get my master's, and, and I could fill in all the blanks. I'm not being clever with all of you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and let's consider ourselves new best friends. When you're mystified and confused about questions like these, throw off those questions. The right question is, what did Jesus Christ uniquely design me to do? You know, uh, in this wonderful introduction uh, this morning, mercifully short, I've learned that in Washington, D.C., we all eventually become farmers. By the way, I'm a Midwesterner by birth. We have farmers, right? But thank you. But in, but in Washington, which I yesterday called 65 square miles surrounded by reality, we have formers. He's a former deputy of this, and she's a former attorney of that, whatever. You know what? I'm going to step back for one minute to tell you all something. Ready for this? God doesn't care 
what your income level is. He doesn't care what snooty college you may have graduated from. He doesn't care what street you grew up on, and he doesn't care if your income level is over or under a certain amount. Because if you measure your life by material gain, you will have missed your life altogether. Hand over heart, this is a promise to everybody here this morning. I have known the most unhappy, successful people in the world. They had every title. They lived in gated communities. They drove expensive cars. Material gain will not give you joy. But I'll tell you what will give you joy. I'll tell you what will give you genuinely lasting contentment. A life completely and totally devoted to what Jesus would have you do. I think we ought to spend a little less time talking about the life geared toward happiness, and we ought to spend a lot more time talking about the life geared toward purpose. By the way, if you aim toward purpose, you will also find joy. Here's why. Joy is in the journey. You know, I remember, we live in the, the People's Republic of Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, it's an affluent, educated, bedroom community of Washington, D.C., otherwise known as the Swamp. And I love our neighborhood. Military, lawyer, lobbyists, media, it's a wonderful neighborhood that God has placed uh, our family in. We lived there a very long time. I remember coming home several years ago on the hottest day God ever created. In the swamp, hot and humid go together. And our next-door neighbor had had problems with the plumbing in her home resulting in a massive project in her front lawn. Digging up the front lawn, there were two diggers there were people who came out of this uh, you know, hole in the ground that used to be her front yard covered in mud and dirt. And my first thought was, I'm glad I'm not doing that today. And out of that hole came a man, I promise you, if I live to be a thousand, I'll never forget him, exuding joy and telling me how much he loved what he was doing. And I asked him, in all of his dirt and humidity and perspiration, what it is he loved about what he did. And he said, this is the joy in the job that God has given me. He preached to me that day in the front lawn of my neighbor's house. What am I going to do with my life in Jesus Christ? How does God actually direct us? By the way, don't take my word for it. Test me. 
go into Scripture, look at these monumental figures of our faith, and tell me that on paper they were somehow the designated deputy. Moses, don't you love when Moses goes to God Almighty and says, you know, I'd like to do this, God. Remember what he says? But I have a speech impediment. Just try telling God you have a speech impediment. You know what God says? I'll send you a press secretary. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, you know, and that's exactly what he does. Along comes Aaron, the first press secretary of the Bible. We need more Aaron's in Washington, D.C. Moses has his spokesman, and we have what? The ironic blessing. One of the most beautiful blessings, the most beautiful blessing, I think, of all of Holy Scripture. How about St. Paul? You know, St. Paul, you'll never get to the bottom of St. Paul. He, you, you may or may not know this, his teacher was Gamaliel. Did you know that? Gamaliel had been taught as a student by one of the three greatest Greek philosophers of history. So the line between the ancient greatness of the Greek philosophers and St. Paul is but a few generations. And Paul is being trained up in one of the most influential, powerful families to do what? To lose it all in service and love to Jesus Christ. If you had to pick one figure who was most unlikely to be chosen as God's great ambassador to us, it would be St. Paul. How about St. Peter? Did you ever go out fishing one day and think that God might knock on your shoulder and say, give it up and come with me? How about Mary Magdalene? How about Mary Magdalene? The trajectory that she was on in her life, and yet, and yet, on the most glorious Sunday morning in the history of mankind. Where does God choose to put Mary but at the tomb? Not just any tomb, the tomb. And of course, Esther. I hope there's at least one person named Esther here this morning. If so, you bear the name of a woman who was never confused about the role that God had placed on her life. You know, we are in an era preoccupied with rights. We spend so much time in our country, culture, and civilization debating this concept of rights that we never get to the ultimate foundational role that Pensacola Christian College does such a superlative job of embedding in your DNA. Let's talk less about rights and more about duties. Let's talk less about rights and more about service. 
I want to be very specific. I remember being your age. It was about 10,000 years ago. <laughs> By the way, you all on college campuses stay the same age and I get older, right? Um, I remember being your age. I do. And I remember trying to figure it all out. Who is God? What is the meaning of it all? What is my role? I seem so confused. Over against my friends or comrades or allies, where do I fit into this whole tapestry? I am here this morning raising my right hand for a second time in one set of remarks. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed. Don't be fearful. This is a promise to you as sure as I am standing here. Give your life and your purpose and your cause to Jesus Christ, our King, and not once or occasionally, but always, he will definitively answer your prayers. And I'm gonna share one last point, if I may. Now, this seems really counterintuitive but I promise every syllable that I'm going to share with you, including the and and, is from the heart. I was born in 1964, the last year of the baby boom generation. So I'm at the point in my life, praise God, where I can look forward and look backwards with just a little ounce of experience. I won't call it wisdom. I praise God every day for the times he said no to me. May I tell you all, when I was your age, I wasn't praying for no's. I wasn't even praying for waits. I was praying for yeses. Jesus was supposed to be the God of yes every time. And if I would just ask often enough, eventually... I knew that providence would, of course, send me sunny skies and the answer of yes. But you know what? To each and every person here this morning, I praise God every single day for every time he said no. And every time he said wait. Every time he said, maybe. You know, when we think of the idea of the answer to prayer, we are geared as human beings in almost a robot-like fashion to think that the answer will eventually be yes, right? Answering prayers means yes. That's counterintuitive. The answer to prayer is very often no. Can you imagine if every single traffic light that you went through was always green, praise God for red lights. Praise God more often than any of us can think for red lights. And yellow lights don't always mean wait. It often means something even more difficult. Slow down. Be patient. 
God has this in his loving hands. I have one final thought. If you have forgotten everything that I have said this morning, and you probably will, I want to share, if I may, the number one thing that I have learned in 35 years living and working inside the swamp. It is the following. Pride is toxic and poisonous, and humility is greatness. I don't know if any of you know the name of the poet T.S. Eliot, Thomas Stearns Eliot of St. Louis. He was, in my view, the greatest poet of the 20th century and became a very committed Christian. His poetry, The Four Quartets, is probably the greatest poetry of the last century. It is powerful Christianity in words. The greatest thing I think Eliot ever wrote is humility is greatness. You know, Pensacola Christian College is preparing you not for a profession. By the way, we'll all, by God's grace, have a profession, and I don't doubt at all that the studies and all the things you're doing here will prepare you for that. But the ultimate preparation, the ultimate preparation and the test of this college's matchless greatness, and by the way, I am a gigantic fan of this college, the ultimate test is whether this college is preparing each and every person here today to adequately answer the question, what am I going to do with my life in service to Jesus Christ, my King? By the way, that's the purpose of life. You know, this age-old question, what's the, the purpose of life is to know Jesus Christ and to love him forever. That's the purpose of your life. I think we have to stop thinking of ourselves as bodies. That's what, that's what our contemporary culture does to us. We have to go back to C.S. Lewis's great insight that we are not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. We have to bring an eternal perspective to this thing that we call contemporary life. My final thought is this. Somebody was asking me yesterday on this great campus, Mr. Gagline, are you a pessimist or are you an optimist? And I said, I'm not a pessimist or an optimist. I'm a hopefulist. I am a hopefulist, an inveterate hopefulist, by the way, a bottomless hopefulist, not because of anything this side of eternity, but because I know that my Redeemer liveth. The tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, 
And the story does not end on Good Friday. We serve a beautiful, extraordinary Savior in Jesus Christ who is fully resurrected and who gives to us not just each and every day, but each and every millisecond of our lives the gift of limitless grace, limitless mercy, and limitless love. And with those tools in our toolbox at Pensacola Christian College, with those tools in our toolbox, this day and every day after, we will, by God's grace, successfully answer the question, what am I going to do with my life to serve Jesus Christ, my King? We will be his incredible disciples in the shadow and in the beauty of our Good Shepherd. I hope that you find the joy in the journey because I promise you remarkable chapters are ahead for you. Combine his humility and his hope. And I promise you, with no exception, the future is one of his limitless and bottomless love. Be of good cheer. What a joy, honor, and privilege it is to be with you today. God bless you, and God bless America. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.